Come on. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome. Today's guest, strong and powerful David Bonson. David, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. Excited to have you on. David is the Chief Investment Officer and the Managing Partner of the Bonson Group, their national wealth management firm. He's consistently named a top financial advisor and thought leader. He's consistently appearing on many popular news outlets that you are well um, aware of and accustomed to watching. He's the author of... There's no free lunch, 250 economic truths. He is a podcaster, community community member, and we're excited to have you back on the show. David, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Well, the personal life is very boring. I am uh, married for 21 years, three kids, two, uh, one of which is senior in high school, one of which is about to start a freshman year of high school. And then a baby boy who is actually 12 years old and does not like being referred to as a baby boy. <laughs> and I, um, as far as why I do what I do, this is my life's calling. I absolutely love financial markets and most importantly, love the human action that undergirds them. And so managing the stewardship of capital is a blessing, but happens to be very connected to that which animates me, which is free enterprise itself. I love it. And I enjoyed our first conversation and I loved, love the book. Um, like, uh, it's such a good read because it's, it's these 250 different ideas. And for a lot of them, maybe I had a passing idea about them, but you do such a good job of explaining just a little bit more about what they are and, 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 and what they really mean. So it was very, very thought provoking for me. And in light of, um, the new legislation that passed, I wanted to have you on because it's tough to make heads and tails of things. So when I hear that, or when people hear that we're hiring, the IRS hired 85,000 or however many new agents, it's like, well, what's 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 really going on there from your perspective? Yeah, I don't, I actually don't think they're going to end up getting 87,000 agents. And, and just to give context as to where that comes from, the Biden administration ran a report that indicated how many they could hire. It was uh, some department, you know, within the, the bureaucracy of that branch. And they came back and said that within this amount of particular budget, the IRS would be able to hire 87,000 new agents. And uh, my guess is that by the time they hire a whole bunch of non-agents with that money, which you could argue might be somewhat less um, intrusive into the lives of American citizens, but even more wasteful. But this is what government does. They waste money. And and I would imagine they'll hire a whole bunch of bureaucrats and admin and probably some you know diversity uh, officers and things in there. And so uh, when, when all is said and done, maybe some ESG, maybe there'll be a need for some ESG at the IRS to kind of better track their carbon footprint. And then they'll hire some uh, tax enforcement. And I think it will be largely um, pretty bad. And what I mean by that is not people like me and people like most of my clients that um, are paying their taxes and are, are doing so legally, but are certainly utilizing the resources that they have available to minimize taxes legally within the um, 
disaster of a complex tax code that Congress in its infinite wisdom continues to deliver. And where I think the, let's call it 50,000 up to 87,000 agents end up being a nuisance is the only way that they can move the needle, which more people of the same IQ that they generally hire are not going to do a better job collecting money from hedge funders with Harvard MBAs and 50 accountants and 100 lawyers and so forth. It's just, it's not going to happen. What they can do is go find that Uber driver who isn't reporting all of his tips and other nonsense like that. And so they have to justify their existence. So they will end up getting some pound of of flesh out of this, but it will be um, small ball. And and I think that's the best you can hope for. But I think it will be intrusive uh, into the lives of Americans. And then what you really can't measure is how much the enforcement effort will go into chasing some additional tax revenue um, that turns out not to deliver. I mean, some might say for that poor Uber driver, well, hey, if you owe the taxes, you owe the taxes. But what about when they go after someone and there isn't, in fact, any money owed? Um, the one thing I've been audited on consistently throughout my adult life as a as a, a good earner and a person of means is on my charitable contributions. And I am a, I, I happen to be in a position to and have causes, I believe, in substantially where I've given a lot and it's a high dollar amount and a decent percentage and uh, they come after it every year and I respond every year and it's fine every year. There's no follow-up action. There's no problem. They just want documentation and whatnot, but how much resources goes in to chasing something down and it doesn't lead to any additional monies. And so I was thinking about that as low hanging fruit for these new agents to just go harass people that are claiming high charitable contributions. And I don't think very many people claim charitable contributions that aren't really doing it. It's pretty cut and dry how you prove it. You have your canceled check or wire transfer, and the charitable entity has their donation letter that they legally have to send. And yet their manpower and the bureaucracy and the time and the effort going after it checking it all and so forth. It's just, it's silly to think about. So I am against the effort and it's not because I'm against tax compliance. It's just that what they don't understand is the fundamental problem is that the tax code incentivizes um, high degree of effort at minimizing taxes from people who have the means to do so. And it is very cut and dry on more middle-class people But when they say they know there's a certain dollar amount out there that's being uncollected, I don't believe them. If they knew it, why wouldn't they be collecting it? You don't need 87,000 more people to know. You've identified that this hedge fund guy in Miami is cheating you. If you've identified it, go knock on his door. You know, they haven't identified it. It's a model-driven suspicion that is not met with reality for those of us who actually deal with high net worth people every day. Interesting. I I always try to I always try to assume that that people's interests are 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 honest and genuine and and they have they have positive motivations. Whether or not that that's true or not, I don't know. But in this example, do you think is is it a function of they just think or assume that there's all this money out there, like you just said, and in order for us to get this 
fictitious pot of money. We need more people to do it. Yeah, I think that there's two things. There was a a, a, a heart before a cart before the horse thing, in that to justify the deficit spending that the Mansion Schumer bill involved, they needed to pro forma both to get Mansion's vote and to some degree sell the American people, and then also to get a score back from CBO, Congressional Budget Office, that was going to show something being either revenue neutral or even deficit reducing. So they have to tell the computer that they're collecting a certain amount of new revenue. Mm. And when you don't have a new tax doing so, or a new fee, or an expenditure cut that is an actual hard input, you have to make something up. And you have, and in this case, they're making up a, a, a imagined amount of new revenue. So the purpose of this is not to collect new revenue. The purpose of it was to tell their computer they're going to collect new revenue <laughs> politically to pass the spending side. Besides Joe Manchin himself, they don't actually care about collecting the revenue. But they need the money. Well, who's they? Uh, you, you and I as American citizens, the people no. listening to the podcast <laughs> or the elected people of Congress, they don't need the money. If they needed they, what are they pro, uh, projecting? This is going to generate one hundred and twenty billion or something. Um, <clears throat> an entity that has run up thirty one trillion dollars of debt and that regularly runs in a good year, a trillion dollar deficit and a bad year, two trillion deficit. They don't actually care about collecting the money. There's no interest in some sort of fiscal balance, but politically they cared about the optics of of this. And that's where that IRS input comes from. So when they say we will not audit, there will be no new audits on income earners or households of under $400,000 a year. You don't believe that? Um, no. First of all, what's the point of having more enforcement? So if they come across a tax cheat, who's really stealing and their new enforcement people uncovered it. They didn't know it before, but now they got new resources and they've uncovered. And there's a guy making $390,000 a year and he owes the government a hundred grand. He's not paying it, but they're not going to go after it. Well, then I want my money back then too, because mm -hmm. that's a bad deal. So they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. And that makes no sense to say we are going to uncover tax cheats and we're not going to go after them if they make a certain amount of money. Their point is we are not uncovering everything we can uncover. So at, at, at some point then to justify this, they're going to have to go after what they find. Um, they've already talked about wanting greater scrutiny on Venmo accounts. So I'll just ask you and anyone else out there who pays their babysitters on Venmo and tips their valet drivers on Venmo and so forth. Do you think the people that you regularly pay with Venmo make over 400000 a year? I don't. I don't. So um, what I, I, the whole entire thing is just comically silly if it wasn't so actually, uh, I think, dangerous. Yeah, that's a, that's when I try to read the tea, tea leaves, it makes me really nervous. I remember however long ago it was that they that the government was talking about monitoring everybody's bank account that had like $500 in it or something like that. And I was like, there's, I don't, that, 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 that seems very, very invasive. I, I don't want to be an alarmist or a conspiracy theorist, but it does seem like the future is not looking good. 
in in terms of the uh, specifics of of tax compliance and just and, government overreach and them yeah, w- yeah. wanting to take money from me. Yeah, I, I you know I wrote a book. It was the first book I ever wrote, and and it, it was came out uh, five years ago called Crisis of Responsibility. And and I'm a lifetime movement conservative. I I have a very deep philosophical appreciation for the kind of political philosophy known as conservatism and in the kind of Burkean order and in a classically liberal tradition. And yet I got myself in a little bit of trouble with some of my conservative friends because in the 10th chapter of that book, I suggested that the problem with the government overreach is generally a, a people, a society, a population that wants government overreach, that tolerates it, that has uh, failed in self-government so badly that they don't blink at allowing the government greater role into things, whether it be healthcare or various economic overreach and and whatnot. Um, I, I think the welfare state is largely a byproduct of a failure of self-government. And so to the extent that I'm pessimistic as you are about the future government overreach, I basically agree, but I put the root of that problem with the people, not with the government themselves, who I think are merely responding to the really uh, gracious hall pass the American people are giving them. As, as you look at where the country is today versus six months ago, two years ago, um, do you feel as though people are becoming more cognizant and looking to revoke that hall pass that we've sort of just tacitly handed the government? Yeah, I, I guess marginally I do. I think that that will probably end up being one of the great um, uh, factors out of the COVID moment is that a certain degree of apathy was kind of slapped around a little bit. And there is some animating force right now in folks that that maybe do want to push back a little on the government overreach. A lot of it comes from some of the most effective and, and active members of society, which tend to be moms, and they don't tolerate well. Um, they, they could be apolitical. They could even be center left in their political orientation. I don't have a monopoly on being against government overreach just because I'm a conservative. But um, in the COVID moment and schools being shut down irrationally for so long and some of the just arbitrariness about many of the policies and the way that whole thing played out, I think that I think that woke a lot of people up. Um, what the stickiness of it is, is TBD. But um, there is a a moment we're in right now where I think there are some that are indeed pushing back. Now, the negative side for me is pessimistically, many on the right tend right now to be looking for more government overreach. They just want it on their side. They want the government to do all the things that we've said we don't want them to do, but we want them to be doing it on, on behalf of causes that are more uh, acceptable into the into the the right uh, right now particularly as a backlash against a lot of the the excess of wokeism or or ESG or or the cancel culture or these other kind of atrocities so i i i don't know if philosophically our ultimately i'll be more encouraged and i can answer you 
with, with more brevity. Once I become convinced that we have a strong value being placed on self-government, on individual character, on virtue, on faith, on institutions, I think all those things matter. And I don't see us really moving in that right direction there yet. So other endeavors along the way against government overreach, I think, are likely to be more temper tantrums than they are um, culture moving moments. Got it. Appreciate that. Well, you are certainly putting your time and money and efforts where your mouth is. You have recently created, I believe recently created a new economics course that people can have access to. And certainly I'm always excited when somebody like you, who obviously has intelligence and experience and all this important stuff, takes the time to do something like that and then and then we can access it. So if we are interested in educating ourselves so we can be more proactive. Tell me a little bit about, about the project. Well, I um, basically volunteered at the high school that I helped start in Newport Beach, California. So Pacifica Christian High School has about 300 students, ninth grade through 12th grade. Uh, it was something that um, I was a co-founder of beginning out in 2013. We went live with the school in 2015 after two years of planning and preparation. And when I say two years, there was a lot more before that, but two years of really officially with a shovel in the ground, so to speak. And then last year, um, I uh, taught economics to upperclassmen as an elective course at the high school. And out of that endeavor, it forced me to prepare the course. It forced me to, to systematize it, to develop a syllabus, a curriculum, uh, an outline for how I thought an introduction to economics ought to be taught to that age group. And there were things I would have done different and 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 I turned a knob here and turned a knob there. But when all was said and done, that dress rehearsal of actually teaching it led me to go actually memorialize the course in my studio. And so we we recorded 30 lectures and uh, made available the syllabus with all the links and all of the reading materials, all the quizzes, tests, essay prompts, final exam, a full kind of semester course of introduction to economics in a box that we've made available for free at Bonson.com. And so that um, was really driven by my belief that some foundational understanding of economics is needed even and perhaps especially from those who already have a, a reasonably affectionate connection to free enterprise. I think a lot of people in the American DNA generally uh, agree with the notions of what we call capitalism. I'm not a big fan of the term, but the idea of a market economy, of, of some form of laissez-faire economics. I think that that's how most of us are wired, but I don't think it's how most of us have been trained and have really prepared ourselves to think intellectually, morally, um, uh, and academically. And so that's what the course is intended to do provide a basic foundation for how we think about economics. And I've been blown away at the response so far, and I truly believe it has the potential to have an impact on people. I'm excited. Nice. Well, I'm excited to dig into it personally because I know how much I enjoyed your book and your style of communicating and taking difficult to understand ideas and making them easy to understand. So, so thank you for creating the course. 
Well, thank you for saying that. I uh, look forward to getting your feedback and thanks for all your kind words. Love it. Well, David, uh, give us give us the website again for how we could find the course and then the other ways uh, if somebody's interested in, in becoming a client of yours, how how all that works. So the website is bonson.com. And because the name is spelled a little bit uh, less than phonetically, I, I will spell it out B-A-H-N-S-E-N.com. And right when one gets there, they'll see the economics course uh, very clear on the on the website and can go in and enroll. And like I said, there's no cost and it's all there. And we think it's pretty turnkey. People can work through it at their own pace uh, and so forth. So other than that, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find online, social media and video and, and my weekly investment commentary. Uh, Bonson.com is kind of that homepage for all the things I'm doing. And so... Those who are interested in staying in touch with what we're about uh, have the ability to do so. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show David your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to Bonson.com. That's B-A-H-N-S-E-N.com and take advantage of that free economics course and you know subscribe to, to all David's musings and the, the, the effort and work that he puts in to, again, make difficult stuff easy to understand and just better equip us to be able to make good decisions. Thanks again, David. Thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. And until next time, keep fighting the good fights. We are all in this together.